God, I thank you for um, the praise of you that has already happened in this place today. Lord, I thank you for the, um, the soul rest we can find in a, in a cool place to gather and in the fellowship of one another and in the time lifting our voices to you in prayer and in song and now in hearing your word spoken over your people. Lord, I pray that it, not me, it would do its life-changing work in our lives. Lord, I pray that, that all of us find ourselves entangled in things, weighed down by the world. Lord, I pray that, that your word and the spirit would do a work to set captives free. And I pray that it would all be for the fame and the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the word of God. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my youngest servant lies in bed paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I'm under the authority of my superior officers and I have the authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth. I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from the east and the west, and sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. At the feet at the feast in the kingdom of heaven, but many Israelites, those from whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the Roman officer, go back home, and because you have believed, it has happened. And the youngest servant was healed that same hour. This is the word of the Lord. Please have a seat and grab your Bibles. Find that passage that Salah so beautifully read. It's Matthew chapter 8. It was your reading today. We are in this series um, that we're calling What Christians Believe. And we started out with sort of this, the, the, we're kind of engaging in the questions that, that the world is asking or, or is refusing even to ask anymore about Christianity. But also, to be honest, what, like what we struggle with as Christians you know, that, that we talk about how we want to be a place of cross-train where if you're starting to doubt whether you believe, like whether what we talk about here is even, is really true, but maybe you've been a professing Christian your whole life, this is a safe place to ask your questions. Like you're not going to get judged here for wondering how this or that could be true. And so um, we wanted to have a summer series this summer that, that sort of invited us into that space and said, hey, what are some of those questions and what, what, how does the Bible answer those questions. And so uh, we started out with like who God is and how do we even know he exists and what about evil? And then we talked about, well, what is the story he's telling in the world? And we talked about um, things like, uh, like who is Jesus and what is the gospel and how is Christianity different from a religion? Um, and and what, what do all the rules have to do with any of it anyway? And then we started to turn it to being more practical. And what I mean by more practical is those are kind of the big picture questions. Who is God? What's his story? Now it's sort of how are these things pressed into our lives. And so today, or last week, I talked about identity and how do we find our identity. And today, we're going to look at probably the, the thing that I think robs more Christians of their God-given, literally God-given identity than anything else. And it's because it's that we don't live in the freedom that Christ's death has already purchased for us. 
And so we're, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about whether we're bound and maybe don't even know it. And we're going to use this passage in Matthew chapter 8. It's the whole chapter which you're reading today. We're going to do like a 30,000 foot flyover of this chapter. Lord willing, we have two more weeks in the summer series and then we'll start into the Gospel of Matthew. When we go through the Gospel of Matthew, I certainly envision us stopping and pausing in these places in Matthew chapter 8 that we're just going to fly over. So I share that part just to say some of you are going to be frustrated that I don't dig into some of the details in this chapter is because that's not really the point. I want to show you the what is the point of Matthew chapter 8 in the context of God's story and how does it relate to this idea of being bound and not even knowing it? Like how would we even know if we're bound? Because there's all kinds of people in this chapter. There's a leper, there's a centurion, um, the, the servant of the centurion that Selah just introduced us to. There's um, Peter's mother-in-law who is physically ill along with some other people. There are demon-possessed people. There's even a story about Jesus um, calming the storm and all of that is in one in this chapter in Matthew 8 and Matthew wrote it there on purpose for a purpose and we're going to look at what that purpose is but every person we're introduced to in this chapter including the disciples who are in the boat with Jesus when he calms the storm all of them are in some form of bondage they're in bondage to fear they're in bondage to doubt they're in bondage to the brokenness of this world they're they're all in this in some form of not living in the freedom that that Christ came and is there to give to them and to us and so we're going to look at that today guys what what i see what what i see is the greatest struggle in my own life and what i see is the greatest struggle in the people that, that I work with, that we, that I, that I, we disciple, the, the church and in and out of the church that, that we're discipling. What I see isn't um, that they're not spending enough time in God's word. As much as we press being in God's word every day, it's, it's not that. It's not even having a pathetic prayer life, even though often, many of us, if, we, if I said how many of you would say your prayer life needs work, almost every hand in the room would go up, including mine. It's not even that their, their problem is that they've, st- they've wandered away from the church. I think, the, I think all of those, things like not time in the word, not, not, enough, not, not, not a, uh, a powerful prayer life, not being gathered as God's people, those are all symptoms of a problem. So what is the problem? The problem is identity. The problem is we are failing to live in the identity that Christ has given us because we're not living in the freedom that God, that God allows us to have in Christ. We put ourselves, like if, if you're not a believer, then you are bound by Satan. Like you are, I, I'm, not, I'm not making this up and I'm not, I mean that's who I was for the first half of my life. The God of this world has blinded the mind of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the glory that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the reality. But even as believers, we put ourselves in these self-imposed prisons all the time. And we're going to look at that and talk about that today. So the first talking points question, the talking points are on the back of your bulletin insert. The first talking points question is, um, what, what does it mean to live in the freedom of Christ? So we're talking about bondage, and what, is it, what does it look like to live in bondage, to live like in this chained up prison? But the, the flip side of that would be to live in freedom. So what does freedom in Christ even mean? I'm asking. I know there's a lot of new faces here today, and some we haven't seen in a while, and so we're a particip- participatory church. I'm still not getting that right. It's closer, though, huh? Um, we, we, we interact here. This is not just a lecture. I want you engaged. We want you engaged. So I'm asking, what does it look like? Like, wh- like what does it mean to even be, to live in the freedom of Christ? Forgiveness. Good job, Camilla. Forgiveness. Grace. 
peace. So these are descriptors, right? Like in a sentence, if you had to say, if somebody came to you and said, so you talk about being free in Christ, what does that mean? Forgiveness, those are all great descriptors. What does it mean? What does it look like? Michelle. So I love it, and I know some of you could hear her, and some of you couldn't, but this, like, like, like she used some descriptors at the end. You have this peace, you have this joy, you have this calmness, right? Those were kind of what was going around the room a minute ago. Descriptors, so where did those come from? Well, where they came from is recognizing the freedom we have in Christ gives us those when, when our circumstances, when everything around us is saying, be anxious, be fearful, don't trust, right? Somebody else, had one, somebody else said something over here about one more thing. Just free from the bondage of sin. Recognizing that sin, although we all still struggle with the flesh, as Christians, we still, like we are not, I mean, Paul tells it, says it himself, we all still struggle with sin. We are not obligated to it anymore. Prior to Christ, you are obligated to sin. You don't have the power not to sin in your own strength. But once we become Christians, he, we still struggle, but, but now there's at least a struggle. We weren't even in the war. Before. I wasn't even in the war in my 20s. But when I came to Christ, then all of a sudden the war starts because now God has given me the power by the Spirit to find victory in Christ. So what we're going to look at is the question we're asking is what is keeping you? What is keeping you, Mo? What is keeping me, Doug? What is keeping us from living in the freedom Christ has already given us? Like Christ's death has already purchased for us. This was Paul's great passion. This is why he, he struggled so much even in his own life. Because he knew every time he struggled in beating himself up, he was denying the grace that the cross had already given him. And he very much disliked that about himself. And he very much dislikes that, dislikes that about the people that were with him as well. So let's take a look at uh, these three ideas. So first, what we have to do to, to live in the freedom of Christ. One, we have, to, we have to believe that he is willing to heal us. Second thing we have to do is we have to be willing to let go and grab on. And the third thing is we have to um, believe, I'm sorry, we have to uh, believe in his sovereign control over all things. And this chapter is going to show us all three of those things. So with that, let's jump into our first point. It's at the start of the chapter. And let's look and see, do we, be, do we believe that Christ is willing to heal us? That's sort of the first prerequisite to living free in Christ. So I'm not going to read every verse of this whole chapter, just so you know. Uh, I, like I said, we're going to do a flyover. But look at chapter 8, verse 1 of the, of the Gospel of Matthew. It says, when he, Jesus, came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. So this is on the heels of, of Matthew 5 through 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount. That's the, the Beatitudes. That's the um, seek first his kingdom. That's uh, the fruit of the Spirit, are the, the, are the fruits, and um, in verses chapters 5 through 7. Now he says, when he comes down, the, the crowds are following him. Um, and he says, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, guys, the, here's what's interesting about the leper. So he's our first character we're introduced to. The leper knows Jesus can. He is not doubting whether Jesus can heal him. He's saying, if you're willing, 
you can heal me. Now, we've got to back up just a step in this because the, the leper even coming up to Jesus and kneeling before him was a punishment like worthy, like, like the punishment for that in their culture would have been death. Like lepers were not allowed near people. So for him to come to Jesus and kneel down, he is in complete submission. He is saying, either heal me or kill me. And I love what Jesus says. Look at his answer. He says, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. He only speaks two words there in the Greek, actually. We translate it into four, I will be clean. But he translates it into, he, tra- he uses two words there. And they basically, basically what he's saying is, like, it's one word that says will, I will. And then he says purified. That's ultimately what he's saying. I will be clean. I will it. I will it would be done. And because I will it would be done, it will be done. And, but Jesus does more than just speak the words. He actually touches the leper. This is what Jesus does. Jesus does not stand off. When we're at the end of our rope and our sin and we're broken and we're going, and we're going, Lord, I don't know how you could possibly forgive me again for this sin that I keep saying I don't want to do anymore. And I know it's in a front, and I know, and I know it's just ugly. And, and Jesus never shoves us away. He always reaches out and touches. He always pursues. Jesus reaches out and touches this man. It's probably the first time in years that this man has felt human contact from anybody. That's who Jesus is to you. No matter how far away you think you are from God, Jesus is reaching out going, I will be purified. Like, I will it. I died to will it. Let's keep going. It says, um, it goes on all, like um, as if to show that, that proximity isn't a requirement for Christ. In other words, he didn't have to touch the guy. He didn't have to be near the guy. Matthew tells a story about this, uh, that, that Sailor read about the centurion who comes up to Jesus. And in verse 5, he says, a centurion from Capernaum came up. And so a centurion was a remote Roman commander that would have been an enemy to the Jews. And he says, um, and he came, comes up to appeal to Jesus. He says, Lord, my servant is living paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said, um, and Jesus said, I will come and heal him. This is, this is Matthew's way of saying Jesus is not only a healer, but he's a healer of all people, not just Jewish people, of all people, because the Roman, the centurion would have been Roman at the time. Now jump down to verse 13. And it says, to the, and, and Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed in that very moment. Guys, and then almost as an afterthought, Matthew tells this little story about them showing up at, at um, Peter's, mother-in-law's, or at Peter's mother-in-law's house. She's sick. He heal, Jesus heals her. And then people start bringing all these demon-possessed people to Jesus, and he starts releasing them from that demonic spiritual bondage. Guys, Jesus still heals people. We believe, and we actually act here at Crosstrain on the reality that Jesus still heals people. He heals people physically. He heals people spiritually. Now, he does it by his will, 
in his power, not in ours. But guys, we ask people, like we, we, we pray over people. We do it during our prayer time. We'll do it at other times. We've gone to people's homes. We anoint people with oil. But here's what's interesting to me is I've thought about this passage a lot. Most of the time when we pray for healing for people, often it's for physical healing. Sometimes it's emotional healing. Sometimes it's spiritual healing. When we, it's us going to them, us meaning the leadership of the church, specifically the elders, but, and then going to them and saying, hey, we would like to pray for you. That's exactly the opposite of what it's supposed to be. When J- so in James chapter 5, James says this about this idea of, of healing. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call on the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And, he, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Who's the one who initiated the request for prayer? The sick person. Why? Because for us to go to somebody and say, hey, I want, I'm gonna, you, look, you look broken to me. Whatever that broken is, I'm going to pray over you. Guys, it's, it's, if they don't believe it's going to work, it's not going to work. Right? In some mysterious way, God's will partners with our belief in or, because, because otherwise he doesn't get the glory in it. That's the key. If the person being prayed for doesn't believe it's going to work and gets healed anyway and, and still goes on and denies God's heal, like the, remember the 10 lepers? Jesus heals 10 of them and only one of them comes back and he's like, where are the other nine? It's because the other nine didn't believe he's the one who healed them. They just start doubting it and that's what we would do. But when you come and ask, that, that is... One, it shows a level of desperation and humility that Jesus loved. And two, it shows that you, that, that you, like, it's the leper. If you will, I know you can. And that's the way we pray for healing here. Lord, we know you can. And we pray believing you will. Your will be done. Right? Now, here's the thing. We've got to remember about healing. Jesus still heals people. But that ultimate healing, the physical healing, isn't promised here. It's promised there. In the new heaven and the new earth, if you're in Christ, you will be 100% healed. Our neighbor, Gina, um, two houses down from us, we just went um, and, and said our goodbyes to her yesterday. She's at home in hospice. She's dying of cancer. She will be healed. We prayed for healing here. It wasn't God's will. But she will be healed. Right? Like that's what we have now. Now, the, the healing he promises here is spiritual. He isn't, he's not waiting. He's saying, if you are dead in your trespasses and sins, if you're spiritually dead, I will bring you to life spiritually. And eventually, I will bring you to life physically, like your new life in the new creation. But guys, understand this. Jesus did not come to make good people better. He didn't even come to make sick people well. He came to make dead people alive that's the end game for the gospel and that's what we have to remember about healing right so what keeps you from um, living free in christ you have to believe he is healed so here's the second talking points question why is it so hard part part of i got to think about so why don't more people ask for prayer like when we have our open mic every sunday we have our open mic and we say if you need prayer for something let us know and rarely will somebody do it Right? Rarely will somebody say, I need people to gather around me and pray over me right now. I'm calling on the elders of the church sort of thing. Why? 
I, I think ultimately, there's all kinds of reasons, but I think the bottom line is we don't really believe God wants our best. Sounds just too Joel Osteen for our group. Best life now somehow. Ah, it's, not, it's not about that, right? Guys, why is it so hard for us to believe God wants our good? Why is that so hard? I'm asking. We've been deceived. I don't know who said that, but what do you mean by that, Karis? If you could hear our sweet sister, but um, I, yeah, the world and the enemy, Satan and his and his minions, have done such a good job of beating us down, getting us to believe we're just that bad, we're just that broken. How could God want your best? Look at you, right? It, that's diminishing the grace of God. It's pulling God down off of his throne and making him like us. Because, frankly, the re- part of why we struggle so much with, with believing God wants our good is we struggle to really see people that really want other people's good at, n- at no reciprocating benefit for to them. Because God being good to us does nothing for him. He gains nothing by being good to us. So we go, so man, why would he do it? He would do it because that's who he is. Right? That's ultimately, and, and, and for us, we have to kind of get past, we have to get past ourselves and go, this is, God, is, God is good. He doesn't just do good things, right? I want you to write this down. To heal a hurt or a wound, you have to stop touching it. To heal a hurt or a wound you have to stop touching it. And here's what I mean by that. Guys, so often for me, my, my, the bondage I put myself in is between my ears. And what I mean by that is I'm constantly having conversations with people who have hurt me. I'm constantly, in my head, I'm constantly having conversations with the people who I think have wronged me. And every time I do that, I am putting myself back in that place of bondage. Because I'm going back and I'm picking that scab off over and over again. And the ridiculous part to me, guys, is it feels good when I'm doing it. That's why we do it. I said last week, if you're sinning and it doesn't feel good, you're doing it wrong. But at the end of that time when I'm out having this argument in my head, I feel oh, I'm angry, I'm bitter, I'm enraged, I'm mean to the people around me. I'm like because, because I have picked at this scab. Now guys, understand this though. When I, when I ask you to write that down, to heal a wound, you got to stop touching it. This is in no way saying, just ignore your hurt and move on. Get over it. Nobody here is saying that. If you need prayer, we want to pray with you. If you need counseling, let us help you find a good counselor. Like if, if you need physical healing, let us help you find a good doctor. Guys, Nobody is saying, just buck up. That is not what Jesus did with the leper. It is not what we do here at Cross Train. What we're saying is that, that 
the, what we fixate on, we migrate towards. And if what we fixate on all the time is the past trauma, is the pain, is the wound, then that's, where, that's what can, starts to consume our hearts. And we don't get victory there. We cannot live free there. But I need to keep going. So one, do you believe that Jesus is willing to heal? The second point we're going to talk about is, are you willing to then let go so that you can grab on? Are you willing to let go so you can grab on? C.S. Lewis says it this way. Getting over a painful experience is much like crossing monkey bars. You have to let go of some point in order to move forward. Now look at what Jesus says here. So let's go back to our passage. We're going to pick it up in verse 18. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. So he's like, I gotta get, I'm going to get away from the people. So crossing over to the other side was, was Matthew's way of saying he's going into Gentile territory or the enemy territory. And a scribe came up to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Take me with you. Now a scribe in their culture would have been a man of honor. He would have had a place of high prestige and probably a really good income. So he's saying, like, let me follow you. I want to go wherever you go. And Jesus is saying, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He's saying, guys, to follow me is humility. You will lose your place of honor. You will lose your income. Right? It, it, it is. And, and then he said, and then and Matthew tells another story. He says, and another disciple came, another of, his, of the disciples, so these are people that had been following him, said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Every time I've read that, honestly, I'm always like, wow, Jesus, that's harsh. Ouch. Now, part of it is we've got to understand in the Greek, the verb tense in the Greek is without time. He's not, it's not, the man is not saying, my father is dead. Let me take a day and bury him. What it's saying is, my, let me be with my, fur, my father until he dies, and then I will come and follow you. And what Jesus is saying is, when when I say come, it's let's go, right? It is leave everything and follow me. So he's not like, he's not heartless going, no, you don't have time to go bury your father, right? I love, um, I didn't know that she was going to do this, but Abby read Philippians chapter 3 verses, um, part verses, um, well, several verses, but verses 12 through 13. This is what Paul is describing about letting go so that you can grab on. When he says, not that I've already obtained it, but I've already been made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on. I let go of my past. I stop touching my wound so that I can grab hold of what is good. Right? That's ultimately the point he's making. Guys, looking backwards will always distract us and discourage us. It just does. We will never see the God above us if we're looking down, around, and within. Like I said last week, if you're the lost one, you're not going to find the direction to go by looking inside you. You're going to find it by looking above you, and that is who Jesus is. So, what keeps you from living free in Christ? Maybe you don't believe that he is even willing to heal us. Like, he's willing to set you free of whatever it is you're struggling with, or, or, and, and we all have cycles of struggle. Maybe it's that, um, that you are not willing to let go of your past, that, that, you're, that you're still in this place of going, but I deserve this opportunity to sit and sulk in my pain. These people were so mean to me. 
I have the right to sit here and just be angry, right? And you don't want to let go. Or maybe it's that you're not willing to trust his sovereign power. And that's what the last part of the whole chapter is about, guys. And we're going to just fly through a few verses, and then I'm going to um, call up some people to help me make the point a little better. Guys, are you, will, will you, ultimately here's what it comes down to, live free in Christ. It's, it's, it's what I think it was Michelle mentioned. It's are we, are, do we trust Jesus enough, and do we believe he has power enough to actually break the chain? To actually break the chain of our bondage, our self-destruction, our self-imposed prisons, etc. So what what Matthew's going to show us is that in the physical world and the spiritual world, Jesus is in control of all of it. Because he goes on in in the scene, and it's it's probably one of the best-known scenes in Matthew, where Jesus calms the storm. So he has all the disciples get into a boat. He's going to go across the sea. He's physically exhausted because he's been healing people. He's been taking care of people. He's asleep in the back of the boat, right? This is verses um, 23 through 27. I'm just paraphrasing. And, And the disciples are freaking out because the boat is sinking. And they're like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? So they wake Jesus up and they say, Jesus, don't you even know we're going to die? What is your problem? And what does Jesus say to them? He says, why are you afraid? Stop being afraid. Right? Oh, you of little faith. He's like, don't you, why were they afraid? They didn't realize who was in their boat. Guys, was Jesus going to let himself drown? Of course not. So if they had known who Jesus like, was, and it, they would have been like, you know what, this is a little crazy, but he's going to figure this out somehow. Right? That's the world we live in. I don't know what, I don't know, we all have holes in our boat. I had this psychology professor in college in my undergrad, that that's what he talked about. We all have holes in our boat. But if we remember who's in our boat, the holes get way smaller, way faster. And so, again, just like he did with the leper, he uses two words to address the wind. And you know what he says? Silence, muzzle yourself. He addresses the wind like he's talking to an entity, like a person or an animal. He's like this. And here's what happens. Um, Not only does the wind stop, but the waves do too. I've never been out on a lake, but even after like a storm comes through and makes a bunch of waves, it takes after the storm has passed, it takes a while for the waves to calm down, but not when Jesus is the one who calmed them, because he's in control of every physical thing in the world. There is not one square inch of the universe anywhere by which Jesus does not say, mine. And that includes every part of our lives, mine and yours. And then the rest of the chapter, verses 28 through 32, are talking about how um, with a word, Jesus um, casts the, the demons out of, in, in Matthew's account, there's two people. In Luke's account, there's one. It doesn't mean that they're, they're, they're not correct. It just means that Luke chose to only focus on one of the two demon-possessed people. But, and he casts them out just by saying, be gone. With a word, Jesus is showing us that he is sovereign not only over the physical world, but also the spiritual. Guys, this scene, whether it be here in Matthew or in Luke or wherever else you see it, is why as followers of Christ, we need not fear Satan. He is, we need to, we need to recognize him. We need to, as Paul tells us, we are not um, ignorant about his schemes, but we don't need to fear him. Why? Because the sovereign one is in control of him. With a word, be gone. He's just like, and, and the demons are all gone. Guys, 
Again, I don't think our biggest problem is spiritual literacy. I don't think it's a pathetic prayer life. I think it's not living in the reality of the identity that Christ had died to give us because we keep putting ourselves, and I'm talking to Christians in the room now or online, guys, that, that we keep putting ourselves in these self-imposed prisons. Now, so, so what do we do? How do we fix that? And that's how we're going to finish our time. I'm going to um, ask, um, first I'm going to ask Sean, our drummer. I always pick on the drummers. Uh, I'm going to ask Sean, because they're not really musicians. Um, and uh, just kidding, Sean, I love you. Um, actually, I'm picking on Sean because he's got to come up here and get in his cage here in a minute. Anyway, so I'm going to pick on Sean, and I'm going to um, ask, we're, we're going to do a couple of demonstrations that hopefully make the point um, that I'm trying to make, guys. The, the reality, so, so here's, so here's Sean. Hi, Sean, how are you? Good to see you. I love you. You know I love you. Wait, don't wait. Hang on. Hang on. So, so Sean, are you a believer in Christ? Yes. Yeah, absolutely, or else we probably wouldn't have him playing. Even the drummer we wouldn't let, like, you know, the, um, yeah. Just real quick, just, just walk around here. And make it. So he's free to walk around. He's free to do whatever he wants. But here's the thing. If, if Sean's like me, and I, and I know my brother well enough, you can come back up here. I know my brother, my brother well enough to go, you know what? There are some things in Sean's life that sometimes um, frustrate him. He starts having some of those, you know, those because he's human, right? He's, he's still, he still fights the flesh like the rest of us. Every time, give me your left hand, probably to be fair. Um, every time he does that, he is chaining himself. Guys, the writer of Hebrews says this. He says in Hebrews chapter 12, Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Now, that's chapter 11. That's all these, the biggies of the faith. Guys, understand, in chapter 11 of Hebrews, the biggies of the faith. Abraham, Isaac, David, Rahab, all these people that he lists. Guys, we wouldn't let them be elders in our church. They are messed up people. And yet, they are the giants of the faith because they trusted and believed God's promise. They believed in the gospel. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that because all these people believed that God would do what he said he would do, then let us do the same thing. And, he said, and so in chapter 12, he says, therefore, since we have all these people in our lives, let us lay aside every, how does the ESV say it? Let us lay aside every weight or encumbrance and the sin that clings so closely or that entangles us and let us run with endurance this race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, looking at him. That's how we live in freedom, by looking at Christ all the time. And that's really hard in a world where there is no Christ evident more and more all the time looking to christ now so so we're going to start with the second one this is the example of what does it look like for sin to cling so closely right now hopefully it doesn't come untied on you so 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 just go over there and, and act like you're trying to walk away and and now whoa hang on that's far enough yeah hey he man okay just so, stay over there so so here's so here's what we try to do here's what we try to do we go, okay, I get it. I get that there's a problem. I get that I'm sick of this sin. So we sort of like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat this one. I'm going to fight this one. So cut yourself loose from, by, by using our own, like this. We, we were talking about this at our lead team meeting yesterday. Yeah, we were talking, okay, we were talking, hang on, don't, don't do too much. It might actually work. Um, <laughs> we were talking about this at our lead team meeting yesterday. We were saying, like, the minute I go, uh, you know, like, we were, we were reading through Matthew chapter 7, which was yesterday's reading, just to start our time. And we were talking about how by, their, by your fruit, they will know us, right? This idea of the tree and the fruit. And I'm like, my problem is when I'm, when I'm in seasons where my fruit look like raisins and prunes, here's, my, here's what I do. I better start producing more fruit. Here it comes. Love, joy, peace, patience. Like, I'm like, I told the guys, I'm like, I'm spiritually constipated. And I'm, and I'm tr I know, and they're like, hey, thanks for that visual. So now you guys get it too. See, but so, 
But guys, what, but that's me and my strength trying to do what only the Holy Spirit and the Word of God can do. So what Sean needs when he's in those moments is he needs the sword of the Spirit, right? So I know some of you guys are like, okay, so go ahead and walk over there. Yeah, he's like, yeah. So if he takes, well, it'll just be easier if it's more chance. Here, I'll let you do it if you want. If he takes the sword of the Spirit, it frees him. You can take that with you, actually, because I don't want it up here with me. Because um, I see some of the kids going, all right. Thank you, sir. So do you, guys, do you, do you get the point? What frees us from the entanglement of sin is not us just trying to work. I could sit here with these little things all day. And they actually, I won't do it. They actually cut paper, but they won't cut this. Right? And so I'm, I'm going, so, but that's us in our strength. Trying to, trying to lay aside the sin that entangles us. Okay, so I have one more. Oh, by the way, Sean, you probably can just come up and get in your cage. Um, I have one more um, example that I want to show you. Because, so one, we, when we are entangled in sinful issues, we try to get victory in them. In our, I don't care if I'm going to stop looking at porn. I'm going to stop um, being, like, being mean to my kids. I'm going to stop uh, talking to people in a main, in bad way. I'm going I'm to get control of my tongue and stop using bad words. Whatever it is, the minute we go, I'm going to, that's me with a little pink scissors. What I need is to claim the truth of God's word and the power of his spirit and lop that sucker off. Right, now, here's our other problem, though. So, Abby, come up here, please. I know, she's so excited about this. She was like, please, Dad, don't. So, so Abby is, so, so we, all, we all carry junk with us. So this is to just help Abby carry some junk. This is not insulting. So Abby, so Abby, so, so, so this is her backpack. So this is Abby's little backpack. So Abby, can you just walk around the tables real quick just to tell everybody now how easy, is that backpack, I mean, I'm sure you know it's on, but is it, is it weighing you down? No, that's, this is the way most of us as Christians should be. We should be walking around. Yeah, we're, we still have the flesh. We still have this. So you just stay facing this way if you would. So we still have, like, the backpack. But it's empty. So it doesn't really, it doesn't really carry. Oops, you know, I better do this one a little bigger. Um, it doesn't carry a lot of weight. We don't even notice it's on. That's living in the freedom of Christ. I mean, ultimately living in the freedom of Christ will, will be when we shed the backpack altogether. That's in the new heaven and the new earth. But here's our problem. We take things like our past failures, right? There's things that we've, you know, our mess-ups or whatever, and, and, and rather than let it go and go, Christ dealt with this, we stick it in our backpack. Now, you might want to lean forward. By the way, every gallon of water weighs eight pounds, so you can do the math. We take things like shame. We talk about this a lot here at Cross Train. Shame and wrong identity, right? Like, like, we start, we, we, like the, the enemy is so good at whispering to me, I know what you did. Who are you to talk to these people about God and his word, right? And, and, I, and, and you're just a big sinner. And, and, if I, and I can either embrace that and put it in my backpack. Sorry. Or... I can, or I can give it to Jesus and leave it on the cross where it belongs. How about this one? This is my, another big one I struggle with. Bitterness and unforgiveness. Oh, all those negative conversations we have. All those people that have done me wrong. All that stuff in the world that's wrong in the world. Those stinking politicians, whatever it is. I'm just so angry and bitter. I'm tired. You know, I've, I've been watching too much news. Um, so there's that one. How you doing, sweetie? Okay, hang on. We got one more. We got one more. You can do it. And here's probably, here's probably the most insidious one because it's so instantaneous. 
fear and worry. I can, I can be in God's word, guys, like having a great time remembering the sovereignty of God and get a text message and immediately I go to a place of fear and worry. Oh no, what's wrong? Who's he doing? What's he doing? Are there, are there, you know, is there something going on that I have to deal with? Like that fast. And every time I do that, like I feel my blood pressure go up. I feel my heart rate quicken, right? And that's, this is the last one, sweetie. You can do it. That's, that's a lot. Okay, so now, so now just try to walk around. <laughs> guys, stop, stop right there. Stop right there. That is the picture. Guys, we laugh. But don't let the humor of the, like, that is the picture of how most of us live. It is. We live way down. So come back up here so I can help you just get it off. We'll drop it down. We live, we live, so just drop it. We live, thank you, dear. We live burdened by the stuff that Christ died for. Guys, Galatians says that it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So stop stop grabbing back a hold of this burden of like the slavery to sin that he's died for. It's why when it's why when it's it's why in Ephesians or in, in Isaiah chapter 53 when he says when he talks about by, by his wounds we are healed when when we live in bondage guys we it is an affront to Christ. Because he's going I died for that. So as the music team comes up here, guys, here's what, here's what I want you to do, because we are an interactive church. So the music team, normally we would take communion. We're not taking communion today. Here's what we're going to do. The music team's going to close us in a couple of songs. One of them is a song of response. Each of you were supposed to be given a white card when you came in. If you don't have one or you need multiple, there are two tables on either end of our prayer wall over here with cards and pens. There are also always cards and pens attached to the prayer wall. Here's what I, wanna, here's what I want you to, to spend some time. I'm going to pray, and I want, you to th- I want you to ask the Spirit to search your heart. What are the things that have you entangled? What are those things that are wrapped around your wrist? What are the things that are in your backpack? Like, what is the stuff that just keeps seeping into you and weighing you down? And then write it down. It, it could be a word. It could be a phrase. It could be a it, Whatever the Lord tells you to do. If you feel like it's something you want to put on the cross, like it's a besetting sin that is just a struggle for you and you're just sick of it, then write that down. Stick it on the cross. There are nails up here. You just go like this. Oh, wait a minute. Where did the nail go? That's not good. Okay, the nails, I don't know why the nails are gone, but the nails are gone. So here's what we'll do. We'll just lay it at the foot of the cross. How about that? I don't know what happened to the nails. So then we'll lay it at the foot of the cross. We, just, we don't read those. We destroy them. Maybe it's something where you're just like, you know what, Lord, I want, to, I want you to join. Like, I want to partner with you in just walking this out better. Like, I want to experience the victory that we prayed through during our prayer time. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Like, the, the, that's, those were the words I kept hearing that, that, um, that Josh and others were leading. Like, like, what is the joy of the Lord? What is the joy of our salvation? The Nehemiah passage that Sean read. That the joy of the Lord is our strength. Like, but write out these things. What, what are the things that are keeping you from the, that, that Jesus told us last week, that I came that you might have life and have life abundantly. What's keeping you from that? Write it down and put it on the prayer wall. But, but give it to the Lord. Guys, the thing I think that is making the church 
ineffective. Our church too. The thing that is making us, I'll use the word impotent, is that we are not, that we're, we're allowing ourselves to live in this place of bondage. This place of self-imposed prisons. Yes, the enemy is real. Yes, the world is hard. Jesus died for that. Do you understand? Jesus said in John 8, if if the Son has set you free, has, present tense, if the Son has set you free, you are free. Not you will be free. You are free indeed. That's your identity in Christ. There is no doubting it. Except we doubt it all the time. Let me pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for uh, the, the time in your word. I do thank you that um, that your spirit is moving around this room right now and, and, and placing on our hearts, my heart, their hearts, um, the things that are keeping us from living in freedom, the places that we have placed ourselves in bondage. Maybe it's because we've never turned to you in the first place. Maybe it's because we've lived our whole lives, like I did for the first half of mine, trying to, trying to find victory my way. Let us lay it at the cross and know it's been dealt with. That when you said, tetelestai, that meant it is finished, annihilated, paid in full, nothing else required. And then let us walk in that. Let us remember that it is for freedom that you have set us free. Let us remember that, that we are free indeed. Let us run with endurance this race that is set before us because by fixing our eyes on Jesus, we have shed the backpack. And let us just embrace the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ.